launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. Just too big, too strong, and too good in the end. Welcome to the Cats Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cusworth, and it's a pleasure to be back. My thanks to the team for carrying on uh, without me um, and doing such a magnificent job under the guidance of the great Mark Brunger, who is the first man that I'll say hello to. And, and Mark, it's such an exciting time in Geelong. No doubt you're seeing what I'm seeing, which is all of the busyness around town with a lot of blue and white on display. Yes, absolutely, Wes. Great to have you back, the uh, the captain of the team, back in charge again. You've been uh, uh, travelling around the uh, the countryside doing your uh, your thing with uh, football presentations everywhere, so good to have you back on board again uh, to lead the show. Yeah, look, Geelong's a, a buzz at the moment. I think a lot of people are, are feeling the, the fact that without getting too carried away that Geelong are in with a really, really big chance of, of achieving, uh, you know, the Holy Grail again this season. And the the mood around town is uh, is very nice. I, I'm, I'm glad we're playing this weekend because it's actually been that long since we played. I've actually forgotten who I buried for in, in the last couple of weeks, thanks to the the way the system set up. So um, I'll actually be glad to see my team uh, back in action again this week, Wes. Yeah, super coach Anthony Petkovic joins us. Anthony, you're heading up. Uh, to the game this Friday night. Um, and I dare Absolutely. say, we, we do need to preface all of our comments in as much as we are recording before the game on Friday night and before this will air on Sport FM, which means that our Perth listeners may well be scratching their head wondering why we're saying what we're saying when the result will be known. But nonetheless, none, uh, we will persevere and no doubt make some predictions that fall wildly wide of the mark. But great to hear that you're heading up there, Anthony. Yes, I'll be heading up Friday night. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's uh, football at its finest, preliminary finals often. And, of course, uh, all those people back in Perth, well, there's no no West Australian teams this weekend. And uh, so we're revelling in it for another week. Which means that we would be encouraged, encouraging them to get on board the Navy Blue and White, wouldn't we, Mark Browning? Uh, absolutely, Wes. Yes, I mean... Uh... We, we granted Perth the grand final last year, um, so it would be nice if they repaid us, the Cats supporters, with, with a bit of support. And I know there are a lot of cat supporters over in Perth. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a Friday night's a huge event if you think it in terms of the last time there was a preliminary final in Melbourne, Geelong actually played in it three years ago. It's been a huge gap. Uh, it is the, uh, the fans' weekend they say because the grand final gets taken over by corporates and other not quite so uh, meritorious supporters but um yeah look it's 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 going to be fantastic and uh it's going i think it's you know geelong's quality against brisbane's momentum i think that's how the game 
uh, will pan out um, and someone will score about 11 goals 12 to 11 goals 13. Whether that's the winner or loser, I don't know. But there'll be a scoreline like that because that seems to be what happens every week in these finals. But Mark, tell me, who do the AFL marketing people want to win this weekend in the respective preliminary finals? It's very interesting. We're so, uh, again, as you say, the people in, in Perth might already know this uh, and the way it's gone, but as I see it, they would love to have Collingwood go through to the grand final. Obviously, that's a huge boost to the interest in the game. And any scenario with that, Geelong and Collingwood would be fine, Brisbane-Collingwood. Sydney-Brisbane, I think they would like uh, because they can sort of, give a funny little wave to the NRL people up, up the uh, East Coast and uh, say to them, ha-ha, look at this, you know, everybody's interested in the AFL in Sydney and Brisbane this weekend. Uh, the le- their least popular would be the most meritorious because the two best sides in the second half of the season have been Geelong and Sydney. So I'd like to see that. But uh, let's just see how that pans out and uh, which way the, the pros and cons of the weekend go. What are your thoughts, yeah, Mark yeah, look, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think from a from a football purist's point of view, I think just about everybody will be uh, barracking for a Geelong-Collingwood grand final, I think, because the two games that both clubs have played this year have been almost instant classics this season. So uh, we can only hope that, that, that if that was to happen again grand final day, that we'd get an equally close and enthralling contest, which is... Something's been missing for the last few years in grand, grand finals. They've been a bit uh, bit ho-hum in recent years. Uh, so certainly I, I think that's what the AFL will be hoping for is that both clubs with big supporter bases and, and lots, of, uh, lots of fans would be, I think, instant TV ratings, uh, which seems to be everything these days, uh, and and a big crowd at, at the MCG, Anthony. I think uh, that that would be their, their preferred option, I reckon. Yeah, I think um, from a, a football purist point of view, a Geelong-Collingwood grand final would be uh, sensational. Um, but I think uh, the game in, in Sydney and Brisbane continues to expand and grow and get crowds that the NRL could only dream about. In fact, the, the biggest attendance for, for the NRL is when they actually bring the product um, to Melbourne, the state of origin. Um, but uh, I think I'd love to see a Geelong-Sydney game purely because I think they've been the best two sides that we've seen this year. Um, yes, Collingwood have been full of pluck and all the rest of it, but um, I think a Geelong-Sydney grand final would be uh, would fit the bill perfectly in terms of uh, rivalry, interstate rivalry, and in terms of uh, what would be a great quality game and both teams match up really well with each other. Anthony, it's interesting you say about uh, the game and and how it's travelling interstate at the moment. It was interesting to hear uh, Jude Bolton speak this week on on radio uh, where he said that uh, uh, he was asked how the football media up in Sydney were were going and how how the newspapers were going with with Sydney being in the finals. And he made the point that that Sydney had been on the back, Sydney Swans have been on the back page of the, the majors up there a few times. And he said, to give you an idea of the impact of AFL football in general, uh, in recent days, the AFLW Sydney Swans have actually made the back page of the of the dailies up in Sydney. So it's clear to see that there's a, a really strong connection um, in in Sydney to our game. Absolutely, and it's continuing to grow. And uh, like I said before, the NRL could only dream about having the sort of crowds that we have 
in the AFL. And very interestingly, of course, we talk finals and we talk about the expectation on Joel Selwood in our eyes to hold the Premiership Cup aloft. But very importantly, obviously, Geelong have got to get through this weekend, but he will this weekend equal Michael Tuck's record for final games played, which is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Michael Tuck, of course, is a seven-time Premiership player with Hawthorne, and we know that Joel, to this point in time, has won three, and we're hoping that this is his fourth. But it's an outstanding achievement, uh, levelling a, a man that played through to 37, was it, I think, Michael Tuck? It was the yeah. 99 grand final, his last game. Uh, I mean, he's one of the great finals players, and so is Joel. Different playing style, guys, do you think? Uh, Michael Tuck, Sheepdog's not right, but he, he wasn't an in and under, was he? He was, he was a, a running, clear the pack, deliver the ball into the forward line type player, Ruck Rover. Was, is that a fair assessment, do you think? Absolutely. And um, he had the sort of head that Phil Carmen loved to have a whacking to in a famous final as well. So, but yes, he had great durability. And even though he was clearly at the end of his, uh, of his playing career there, he wanted to continue and uh, Hawthorne had to pull the plug on him like a mercy killing almost. But um, Joel Selwood uh, is still going strong and will play a pivotal role uh, in this Friday night's game. And, and should Geelong get through, um, will no doubt pull out a big one in the grand final. Yeah, I think Joel's been in, in magnificent touch in recent weeks. He's found a little bit of a, a glimmer of of the Joel of old in, in, in recent weeks and is really leading from the front. And, and Wes, for your benefit, I mentioned last week that uh, that I thought it was a bit of a masterstroke by Chris Scott to uh, to start both Selwood and Dangerfield off the bench. And, and I think that certainly paid dividends uh, late in the game because when the whips were cracking and Geelong needed to beat Collingwood, uh, Selwood and Dangerfield were both very prominent uh, in driving the Cats across the line. So, you know, maybe that's the option for Joel. He doesn't start the game, but he just comes on uh, midway through each quarter just to get that engine room going and to get that drive going and, and save his legs for when the game is is there to be won. Yes, well, of course, Brisbane Lions midfielder Jared Berry is a player who will take his place. But for a few days there, that was in doubt. Was the right decision made or is it, um, yeah, it was it the right decision for him to actually win his appeal at the AFL Tribunal? I don't think so, Wes. I, I think it's, we, we talk about the look of it, but when, when there's been eye gouging before, people throw their arms up, we've got to get this out of the game. Uh and here was a case which, okay, people said, well, what would you do if someone had their arm across your throat? I don't know that it, Olive was putting any pressure on his on his throat too hard. He, he supposedly wasn't looking, but he knew anybody that puts their hand on another person's face knows whether they're near the eyes or not. I think he's very lucky. I don't think it's a six-week job, but I, I reckon he's lucky to get off. Uh, and, you know, if it was Patrick Dangerfield they probably would have given him two or Tom Stewart. He probably would have got two or three weeks. Again, I don't know what other people think. That's my view. I've had other people argue that um, that was the right decision, but I'm not sure it was. Yeah, look, it's it's fine with me. I, I, I don't have any great issues. I would suggest that if it was Toby Green, he probably wouldn't be playing until about midway through next season, I think would be a, 
your fair comment there. Um, but but for me, you know, obviously uh, having a, a little bit of a psychological background I, and interesting to see the neurosurgeon brought in. I think that's the first time a neurosurgeon's been brought into the AFL tribunal. But uh, the neurosurgeon is right about the fight or flight response of, of someone who is in fear of, you know, potentially passing out or something like that because potentially pressure is being thrown, you know, placed on their throat area and they're struggling to breathe, that they will flail around like that. But, you know, that that's one way of looking at it. But but the other the other side of it is 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 as you say, Mark, you know, he, was he aware of of where his hands were going and, and in the eyes. And I think that's that's the hardest part to work out because the only two people that are going to know how much pressure that uh, you know Clary Oliver was putting on his throat are Clary Oliver and Berry. So it's one of those things that we'll never really know. It's like, you know, did Lindy Chamberlain kill Azaria Chamberlain? I mean, we're never going to know the answer to that. I think the answer's been settled on that one. But um, look, oh, the, the whole thing that a player doesn't know and they can't hear the whistle and they don't know where they're touching another player, what a load of garbage. Look, people are not morons, um, but these clubs will shop around for professional idiots who will back their case with some sort of justification, you know, and look... The AFL tribunal this year, when it comes to the, the big ones, you know, they've been as soft as jelly. They would have found the Boston Strangler innocent. <laughs> oh, well, uh, it's really only going to make a difference if Jared Berry has 40 possessions and kicks the winning goal against Geelong. I mean, that's that's the really only the real impact it's going to have on the game. Otherwise, let him play. I don't know, it doesn't bother me as a Geelong supporter. Let it him doesn't play. bother me. Nah. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather he play, we win, and it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and history is littered with players who've who've gotten loose at the tribunal and it hasn't hasn't aided their team any. You know, whether it's Dunkley from Sydney, Hamill from Carlton. They'll come up with all sorts of stories. They sit around for hours and they plot and plan every word they're going to say and they find some, they get out the yellow pages or TikTok or Twitter and they find some professional guru who will come up with some sort of mastermind strategy and the tribunal will lap it up time after time after time. And come on, guys. He put his hands in the guy's face. He fiddled around in the eye area. He got caught on camera and he's still somehow not guilty. So stop whinging about it's a bad look for the game and stop whinging about we've got to do something about it. We had a chance to do something about it and we squibbed it. Yes, very good point, Anthony. Now, Mark Brunger, I want you to address this initially, and the other guys no doubt will have some buy-in because we all have a great deal of interest in our Western Australian brethren but what is going on at Frio with so many players wanting out after such a successful season? Yeah, Wes, look, I, I don't understand this. I, I've been following the the so-called trade market rumours for the last few weeks, and and I just I can't fathom why players would want out of a club that looks like it's on the verge of a period of success. 
now, you know, Rory Lobb wants to go and Blake Akers wants to go and somebody else wants to go and another person wants to go and, and so on and so forth. And a lot of the words I'm hearing are I want to go home or I want to be traded to my home state or, or whatever the case may be. I'm concerned that we are that we are developing a generation of squibs and whingers with with no resilience whatsoever. You know, so you're going to Perth to play AFL football. Guess what? There's probably a million people across the countryside that would break their bloody back legs to get up there and have a crack at AFL football. So how about you dig into the resilience bank? And and actually stay out, stay out of club for for more than one or two years, which is all they're required to stay in terms of you know being a, a new player, um, you know signing a two year contract. I mean, I'm getting just about jack of these people wanting to go home because they want to go home. It's like, well, you know, it's like the the Junior Rioli situation at West Coast. Uh, that to me, Junior Rioli has basically said up yours to West Coast after they've stuck by him after a pretty dark period in his life. They've stuck by him. They've kept him on their list. They've brought him back into the team. They've played him. And he says, thanks very much. Up yours. I want to go to South Australia. So, you know, I'm, I'm just concerned that, that that there is no resilience in AFL players anymore and all this restraint of trade BS um, is just getting beyond the joke. Look, the, the situation with each pl- individual player is, is somewhat different and it's clouded by the fact that uh, Peter Bell, one of their um, top officials at Fremantle, also allegedly is looking to to get out and come home to North Melbourne. Um, yeah, it makes you wonder what's, what's going on internally. Um, but at the same time, clubs over the years have been pretty ruthless in how they've dealt with players, um, i.e. Collingwood with uh, Adam Trelaw, when they no longer suit their purposes. They're doing the same with Heath Grundy. It does work a bit both ways, but... Yeah, you've got to look at each each particular case on its merits. Well, guys, I've said many a time on this program, no, you know, it's purple. Nobody wants to wear purple. So there's <laughs> there's the Fremantle problem again, rearing its head. Um, look, Mark, I, I think you, you're right to a large degree, but I would point out that this wanting to play at home in your hometown, in your home state, has been going on for a long time. It may be getting worse, but Anthony, as a historian, would also know about Geelong could never get Barry Robert. Geelong worked so hard to get Barry Robert over from Adelaide. He wouldn't budge from Adelaide. Uh, Stephen Michael's another one. It took a lot of brown paper bags uh, filled with money to get Polly Farmer over to Geelong for a couple of years. So it's it's not brand new. Uh, Jeremy Cameron, uh, he's another one. Would, would Mark, would you be happier if he was still at GWS? Probably not. So, look, yeah, it's it's a problem. I don't think it's going to get better. It's going to get worse. And there's the dollars as well. So Jeremy Jeremy Cameron's a different example because he he'd been at 
at GWS for an extended period of time. When I say about resilience and things, I'm talking about guys who have been in the AFL system for, you know, maybe one, two, three years who are still paying their dues. It's like Jason Horn Francis at North Melbourne. You know, you've been gifted an opportunity that millions would kill for. How about you just pull up your socks and start playing football and actually build yourself a reputation and then decide where you want to go. Not say, thanks very much for getting me in the system. I'm going to screw you over now and go go back home. I mean, it, it, things like Jeremy Cameron are, are quite different because he spent a, an, a lengthy period of time with GWS before coming to Geelong. It's more the young players that are getting into the system and not sticking with the club that gives them that opportunity and paying them back for a period of time before they start exploring their options. Well, Mark, I'll, I'll just contact the managers of Tanner Bruin and Ollie Henry and say that on the basis of what you've just said, we don't want them at Geelong next year. They've done their, they've done their two years. They've done their two years at respectively at GWS and Collingwood, and both are looking to come back to Geelong next year. It's it's an interesting market, and they're coming home. Um, Ollie to join his brother, and uh, you know. His family just lived there next to Cadinia Park and, and Tanner wants to come home as well. And um, it's, it's, it's a real sign of the times um, and it's something that, that football fans are going to have to get used to. Hmm. Well, Tanner Bruin really did make it very clear right from the very night that he was drafted that he wasn't he was too drafted. <laughs> the facial expression that he pulled when he was drafted by yes. the uh, Giants was um, something to behold. Mm, yes, either that or he had really bad hemorrhoids, but, um, but yes. don't you get Don't you get sick of it? Because, I mean, like on draft night, they all say, that, you know, they all say the same thing when they get drafted. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't really care where I go. I just want to get into the system and play AFL football. And then, you know, you see the, the Tanner Bruin reaction and, and then these other players that are going, well, you know what, I've been in the system for 12 months. I don't really like living away from home from mummy and daddy. I need to, you know, I need to go back to my apron strings and, and go back home. Well, I also think, though, Mark, there's a, there's a difference between living in Western Sydney and Geelong. And one of the, the lifestyle aspect about Geelong is also another attraction of players, not outside the money. That, that's, that's well documented that, even if you're like $100,000, $200,000 down on what you might be getting at GWS, but it's cheaper to live here. You've got the coastline 15, 20 minutes away. So there's, there's all that built into the mixture as well. I'm not saying, again, I'll repeat, you're not wrong. And there are, there are some immature young men out there who don't seem to be able to handle moving away from home for very long. I do think, as I've said many a time, GWS and the Gold Coast have still got huge problems about making players feel like they're at a proper football club in a proper football town. And that my, I would that would wear me a little bit that you're not even where again, I know the jumpers are sort of trivial, but both the jumpers there also don't look like football jumpers still. <laughs> well, I've really taken my grumpy pills this week because I'm going to say, if people have so much trouble moving away from their home state, then let me tell you, let's create a new system in the draft. If you're a Victorian club, you can only draft players from Victoria. If you're a South Australian club, you can only draft players from South Australia and so on and so forth. That'll stop it. I'm sure clubs factor that in 
they meet the players, they talk to them, they check out the parents, they talk to the schools, they do a lot of work in the background of trying to get into who these youngsters really are. Um, and, and I'm sure they already factor a lot of that into their decision-making. Some of them will, will go with a player who is a local um, over someone from interstate um, purely because of, of, of that home factor. So it's, um, it, it's something that I think the clubs know and, and certain clubs would know that uh, they've got real issues and will have real issues retaining some players. And, and they back themselves in to be able to retain them. But I think in Fremantle's case, I'm, I'm mystified by the fact that, that so many players want out at a particular time when it looks like the club is about to make a giant leap forward. Maybe David Mundy's not been the glue that's been holding it all together and uh, now that he's pulled up stumps, then uh, it is time for others to leave. Well, let's... Turn our attention for the final five minutes of our podcast for this week to the Brownlow medal, which is fast approaching. And it's very interesting to look through who the contenders might be. Mark Brownie, let's start with you. Uh, look, Wes, I think we can be influenced by uh, late season form and even finals form. Where they don't even give votes for the Brownlow medal. But uh, I think Lockie Neal is in the mix again. Uh, Geelong, they don't seem to feature that well. Maybe that shows the spread of talents pretty even. Um, yeah, look, there's, there's a few other guys running around, but um, if, if I had to pick it right now out of the blue, I probably would go with Lockie Neal. He's just, I guess, based on what I've seen the last few weeks when his form has been Brownlow medal-ish. Bronga? Yeah. Oh, I think, I think I'm on the Lockie Neal train as well. Um, I, I do think that the you know there 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 must be a smoky around somewhere, and I think maybe someone from the Sydney Swans might be might be a smoky. Maybe it's uh, uh, Callum Mills who who's there, or maybe he's not played enough football this year. But uh, uh, young Warner, who who's been an absolute revelation for for the Sydney Swans this year, he he could poll a few votes, as could uh, Isaac Heaney. So you know, it's whoever the umpires favour in the midfield, Anthony Bekovic, wouldn't you say? It's a midfielder's medal. Um, they're the only people that count. Possessions, get 40 touches. Doesn't matter if uh, 26 of them were clangers. Um, it's It really is uh, just a bit of a raffle. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I don't care who wins it. Um, for the uh, Perth people, where is it? Brayshaw has been talked about and Andrew, talked up a Andrew lot. Andrew Brayshaw, yeah. Brayshaw, we, on the East Coast, I think we can... You know, that's the last game played on a Sunday, often the Perth game, and sort of we're over football by then and don't pay close enough attention. But uh, he certainly has had a lot of kudos this year and, and I would expect, especially when Fremantle's form was good earlier in the year, would get a lot of votes too. Yeah, I think... I think yeah, he's, he's, he's been very... Every time I've seen Fremantle, he's been a... Uh, a real influence on the match. He gets a lot of touches. He's right under the umpire's eye. And his, his level of skill has improved significantly, I think, over the last 12 months. But he's really coming on strong. He might not win it this year, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins one eventually. Uh, being a, uh, a television sports aficionado myself, um, I know there is one thing for sure on Sunday night when the Brownlow medal is on. 
Channel 7 will bore the absolute suitcase out of us for as long as they possibly can to drag in those ratings because I tell you what, <laughs> I reckon if I was in charge of the Brownlow Medal, gentlemen, it'd be over in about an hour and a half. That'd be about it. We haven't had a good Brownlow Medal count since uh, since Fev was involved in the medal. I'd like to see Andrew Dimitrio come back and count the votes again. I thought he was one of the, you know, a great vote announcer, probably the best we've ever had. What about, um, what about especially Paul when Carl, Jack Hamilton? Martin got votes. I like this. Jack Jack Hamilton from back in the back in the VFL days. He was pretty good at it. He was no oil paints, Jack, but. Uh, Andrew Demetrio though needs a script, as we we knew when he when he fronted the corruption commission there um, as a director of Crown. Without a script, he's pretty hopeless. Yes, and uh, that might be an appropriate way to finish our program this week. Uh, my thanks to Mark Brunger, Anthony Petkovic, and Mark Browning for comprising the Cats Whiskers team this week. We hope that our listeners throughout. Western Australia on Sport FM have enjoyed the program and all those that are catching it via the podcast. We thank you for tuning in to the Cats Whiskers podcast and we look forward to joining you again next week for our pre-grand final edition of the Cats Whiskers.